You're listening to Following the Way, a podcast devoted to the examination of Scripture and Christ-centered practices to help us live in devotion to the way of Jesus. Hello, everyone. It's so good to be together once again and uh, want to welcome you to this podcast, which is available on Apple and Spotify. I want to also encourage you to uh, give us a rating if you're enjoying this and also to share it and to, uh, to get the word out. We'd love to be able to reach more people uh, with this. I want to speak today uh, around uh, Mark 6. We've been talking this week how we are made for God's presence and fostering the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we pursue that. And there's, there's two accounts in Mark 6, one at the end and uh, one at the beginning that bookend the chapter that are significant in how they contrast one another. And in speaking to attitudes that hinder or welcome the work of Jesus and the work of his spirit in our midst. And so I want to read these two accounts and then unpack this. So the beginning of Mark 6 says, He went from there, Jesus, and came to his hometown And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Jose and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And, and I, you know, there's so many things that make you wonder uh, about these verses, given how much Jesus healed people, the extent of his miracles and the extent to which he, he, he was working with so many people. And yet here in his hometown, it says that he couldn't do hardly, uh, well, he couldn't do no mighty work there and he could only heal a few sick people. And I wonder it's even because they were the ones that were open to him and the rest were closed. But the, the questions that I was asking as I, as I read this again was, what characterized the unbelief of these people that led to Jesus not being able to do this? And him, Jesus himself, marveling at their unbelief. What characterized their response to Jesus? And the one thing that we see here is cynicism in them, that uh, the people mentioned here, they, they knew who Jesus was. They say, you know, we know his brothers, we know his sisters, we know his mom. Uh, and so, you know, we, we know this guy, we know his background, we know his history. This is Jesus, the, you know, the carpenter. He, he's, he's, what is he doing? The things that he's doing. And so there's, there's a general cynicism to him. And we also see that there's this idea that he's not meeting their expectations based on who he is, his background and what they expect of him. What he's doing does not fit within their expectations of him. And there's also obviously a familiarity with Jesus and it tends to presumption that they have this idea of who Jesus is. They know who he is. They know his history and his background. And so, 
you know, he, he can't be doing the things that he's doing. He can't be who the p- other people say he is. And so there's this, this cynicism, this unbelief, this familiarity with him. All of this leads to Jesus not being able to work amongst them. And it's tragic and it's, it's challenging for us. There, there's, there's definitely things to, to sit up and take notice of here. Now, you contrast this with the end of Mark 6 and the account there, and that's where it becomes so striking because it says in verse 53 of Mark 6, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. It's an incredible account of what's happening in this region. And the contrast between what happened in Jesus' hometown cannot be ignored. And so, what characterized these people that was different than the people uh, that we read of at the beginning of Mark 6? Well, we see here that there's obvious desperation. When, when they bring the sick people to Jesus, it says there that they implored him. They, they just wanted to even touch just the fringe of his garment. There was such a level of desperation for him to move. And in that, there was expectation too. That's the second thing we see where there's this there's this expectancy that Jesus, even if we just touch the, the hem of your robe, just the, the very minimum, the thread of your garment, these people are going to be made well because of what is possible with you. And so it's amazing. And then we also see that this desire and this expectation and, and even the desperation, it's paired with initiative because it says that they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to, to wherever they heard he was. They're going about the whole region saying, come, you've got to come and see Jesus. He can make you well. And so there's this initiative where the people on, they, they are helping and coming alongside the sick and the desperate. And that in itself is a beautiful picture of, of how even we bring people to Jesus and we invite people to Jesus. So there's this desperation, this expectation, this desire, and it's paired with initiative and action on the part of the people. And their faith and their desire in all of this is rewarded because it says, as many touched his, the fringe of his garment, what they desired were made well. It's an incredible account and you can just imagine the amount of people in that region that were healed. And you contrast that to the limit and the hindrance that Jesus had in his hometown and it's tragic. But it's also a great challenge and a lesson for us about how we see Jesus, how we approach Jesus, our posture to him and the work of his spirit right now when it comes to him not maybe meeting our expectations where what we expect him to do or what we're hoping for him to do, what we want, or maybe Jesus chooses to move in a way that makes us uncomfortable or doesn't fit within our box or fit within um, things that we've even been praying for for a long time. And then and then God chooses to move in a way and, and we might even question going, 
that that can't be. How how can it be? And so we have to be so careful it with our attitudes and then as well our familiarity with Jesus especially for those of us who have grown up in the church and and know lots and and maybe intellectually we have all sorts of information but to be careful that that familiarity with Jesus yes in a different sense than the people there in his hometown but but there's um there's connections there that this familiarity that we have doesn't lead to presumption or tend to presumption in our lives where we allow our preconceived notions of Jesus and what we expect of him to shape our view of what he is doing. And so we see here this, this, and and, and the reason this is so important is there's the contrast between hindering or welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit because self-sufficiency, which is held as such a high ideal in our culture and celebrated as, as good and right and to be, uh, to be pursued, self-sufficiency hinders the work of Jesus in our lives and it doesn't make us desperate and expectant for him. And so that leads to, for me to ask the question in my life of where is this danger, this tendency to self-sufficiency, where is that tending to be lurking in my life? And so, and I, and I need to pray that, I need to acknowledge that, I need to be aware of that, that comes with self-awareness, and I need to pray that God would root that out of me and make me desperate and expectant and give me desire for him to move and pair that in my life with initiative. So I want to, I want to end by just praying and welcoming the Holy Spirit to do this amongst us. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the truth of your word. I want to thank you for how it alerts us to the things that we need to be on guard for and the things that we need to embrace in our lives in order to invite the work of your spirit and to pursue and and foster the work of your spirit in our lives. We were made for your presence, God, and we want to have more and more of that. And we want to be aware and to, to hinder those things in our lives that would seek to hinder your move and your work uh, right now. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And Jesus, we want to to ask that you would forgive us where we have presumed certain things or made certain assumptions and, and our familiarity with you has actually led to a hindrance of your work in our lives. And we want to embrace everything that you have. And we want to ask again that you'd make us hungry, expectant people that are full of desire and, and recognize our need and our deficiency and our need for you to move, that we need to be self-sufficient on or, or sufficient in you, not on ourselves. We don't want to be self-sufficient. We want to be Jesus-sufficient. We want to be self-deficient, actually. And so we... We welcome the work of your spirit in these days. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word. And Holy Spirit, we receive your presence in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you once again for being together. It's great um, to be able to to, uh, be pursuing the Holy Spirit together. And I want to bless you in that. We'll see you again.